Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon, as an audiobook, in paperback, and on Kindle. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the late summer, and is called From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that these books and this podcast are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelled out. Well, today I'm really pleased to be able to welcome back to the podcast the one and only Dr. Eleanor Greenberg, who you will have undoubtedly come across if you've ever Googled narcissism. Dr. Greenberg is an internationally renowned licensed clinical psychologist, and she specializes in teaching psychotherapists across the globe how to diagnose and treat those with narcissistic personality disorder, as well as those with borderline and schizoid adaptations. She's a member of the New York Institute for Gestalt Therapy. She's on the faculty of the Gestalt Center for Psychotherapy and Training. And she's an associate editor of Gestalt Review, which is a peer-reviewed professional journal. She's been in this field for a very long time indeed, graduating in psychology in 1970 and receiving her PhD in psychology in 1979. Eleanor is the author of the book Borderline, Narcissistic and Schizoid Adaptations, The Pursuit of Love, Admiration and Safety. And she's a prolific writer on the subject of personality disorders for the general public, including on Quora.com and PsychologyToday.com. She's arguably the person who has increased the general public's awareness of narcissistic personality disorder more than any other on a worldwide scale, with her articles on Quora.com receiving more than 1.8 million views every single month. And even more excitingly, Eleanor's new book will be out in the summer. It's called Understanding Narcissism, From Dating to Mating and After. And I, for one, can't wait to read it. So many people who've been in a relationship with a narcissist come to me wondering how to avoid it happening again. So today we're going to be talking about the various ways that different narcissists present in the dating arena 
Eleanor's identified various different archetypes which are particularly easy to be fooled by because they feel so good to be around and feel so real. And she calls these the detective, the hunter, the narcissistic love script, the romantic, the Casanova and the recycler. So Eleanor, please do tell us more. So I recognize that I had seen a certain pattern that's very easy to mistake, and it is mistaken all the time, for the person being in love with you and being very, very serious. And I call it the detective, Mm -hmm. because what the person does is, and they're usually a narcissist, they usually qualify for a diagnosis of, from what I can tell of narcissistic personality disorder, they find you mysterious, Uh mysterious, beautiful, interesting, for whatever reason, out of reach, the idealizable person. Uh And they're drawn to you. And I've seen a number of women that this has happened to more than once. The guy seems incredibly enthralled with everything about you. Right. Everything from where you live. They want to know about your childhood, what you like and don't like. They ask you questions instead of the opposite type that wants you to be totally focused on them. And they're just displaying themselves to you. Mm. This type you wouldn't think was really a narcissist or wasn't serious because they're so interested and they ask you so many questions and you find yourself talking to them about things that you'd never told another soul in your life. Uh And it gets deeper and deeper. And for you, it's a deep emotional experience. You're unveiling yourself to this person who says you're amazing. They say all the courtship things that other narcissists do, love bombing and things like that. And they're really feeling that. You're amazing. You're wonderful. I can't believe I'm lucky enough to be dating you. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. And they're hanging upon your every word this type, aren't they? Yes, they want to know where you went to school, what yeah. your parents are like. They seem very, very impressed by your parents more than you are, maybe. <laughs> they want to meet them and they want to let them know that how sincere they are about you. Now, what's the catch? Uh The catch is these guys are really just detectives. Uh From a distance, you're very mysterious. You're smart, you're sophisticated, or you have an unusual life. Whatever it is that they find so fascinating, that is not them. And that they wish was them. Uh And that they can get by being with you. They're sincere in the beginning. You, They do find you fascinating. They are interested in your answers to this question. What is unexpected is that they're so shallow that really all they cared about was the mystery. Mm-hmm. And now that you are unveiled as a real person and they have the answers to their questions, you're showing yourself to them in so many ways that you didn't feel safe showing yourself before. Mm-hmm. That's when they leave you. That's when they lose interest Mm -hmm. because you are no longer a mystery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you heard anyone talk about anything like that, Supriya, to you? I have. And I think a lot of it is about exposing those vulnerabilities. One person told me that the narcissist had told them that that she had a sad look in her eyes. And and there's a song called Sad Girl. 
such an unusual attraction. And apparently that's what the narcissist sang to this girl. And he wanted to know more about why did she look so sad and what had happened to her. And again, it must have been that sense of mystery. So it very much asked all the right questions and found out everything about her. They're finding out what that person's vulnerabilities are. And essentially then those vulnerabilities could actually be used against them. How did that relationship turn out? that did end I got to know this person as a client who's divorcing the narcissist because I don't get to meet these people so we have to know that we are dealing with a narcissist and it's quite difficult to do so I try and sort of go through everything from the beginning how did you meet what what actually happened what makes you think this person's narcissistic what behaviors are there and and that was one of the uh, things that she told me I thought it was really interesting and I started thinking about the detective type I started thinking about the other ones, the hunters, the Casanovas, the recyclers, the romantics that I've written about. So a lot of people have strong hunt mm-hmm. drive. Mm-hmm. And if you run, they chase. Yeah, It's as simple as that. Yeah. And a dog chases a rabbit because the chase is fun, not because they love rabbits. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like that, but it feels very flattering, especially in the beginning, especially if you're contrasting it with being alone or not having had anyone be this enthusiastic about you. Mm -hmm. And they do anything to get your attention, to please you. Mm -hmm. And they do whatever is necessary for you to finally relax your guard. Yeah. The most terrible thing about this for people is everything changes at a certain point and it reverses. Yes. Once the, the narcissist achieved that goal, I can think now of a narcissistic person I knew in a social context who actually told me um, that it was all about the chase. He actually said that. Yes, I give the example of a hunter hunting a deer. You're the deer, my dear. (laughs) As long as he's chasing you, he's happy. He has a project. Narcissists are very bad at actual relationships. They don't have the skills for it. They probably didn't witness a really good model of a relationship with their parents. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to be intimate. They lack emotional empathy. They have a lot of things that get in their way when it comes to -to day-to-day living, especially since they're not really interested in you. Mm -hmm. They're interested in you as what you can do to interest them, which is a very different thing than being interested in you for you. And in, and it feels in the beginning, it's hard to tell the difference. So with the hunter, they are pursuing you. They're sent, they will go to all, to any length within their financial means. I've had people be bombarded with flowers at their office, with tickets to things, with very, very expensive presents, all sorts of things that you wouldn't get normally this early in relationship, jewelry, expensive jewelry from high-end places, everything that they can do to impress you. And it's easy to believe that this person cares about you because they're telling you all the time how they want to marry you. You're Mm -hmm. their ideal. They really want to be with you. They will say anything pretty much. And in this case, these things are lies. They don't really consider it lying because they don't really consider you a real person who they have an I, thou, equal relationship with, your prey. And and this is the case where someone really does know themselves and is hunting you down. 
So they're very much aware of the fact that they're hunting. The hunters are aware they're hunters. They may keep you for longer than some hunters. Hunters sometimes are like catch and release fishermen. Once they catch the fish, they release it. They don't have to kill the fish. They're not angry with the fish. They just want to catch the fish again. So if you have one of these guys and you happen to be elusive Mm -hmm. by nature or busy or taken up with your own work, that creates enough elusiveness that they never really feel they have you 100%. So Mm -hmm. it may take quite a while. It may be a very long hunt with a very patient hunter. But at that point, when they do feel that they have you, they lose interest. Mm -hmm. I had a narcissist come to me who was a very unpleasant person who was doing a lot of payback with women for the humiliations of high school. Mm -hmm. Since high school, he had gotten plastic surgery, he has a different chin, a Mm -hmm. different nose, different cheekbones, Mm -hmm. everything's enhanced. He has more money. He's in a job that attracts women. Mm -hmm. And he likes to humiliate them, and especially humiliate them sexually to the point where they're crying, and then tell them they're worthless and fat and ugly, and no man would ever like them and throw them out. Mm And that's not his problem. He doesn't care about that. He's having a good time with that. Mm -hmm. I said, but Mm -hmm. why are you here? You appear to be having the life of your dreams. He says, someday I may want a more normal life. I may want to marry and have children and a family. I want to have what other men have. Uh, Notice the competition. It's not that I love women. And I found that I have this odd sexual peculiarity. Once I have a woman once, once I have sex with her once, I usually cannot have sex with her again. I will not be potent. I will lose my erection. I can only do it once when she's a stranger to me. This is going to interfere later on in my life. So that's what he was in therapy for, not because he didn't want to be Uh a malignant narcissist, not because he, he wanted to stop humiliating women. He wanted to be sexually more potent. His penis really knew what was in his heart. And he couldn't make it respond differently. Mm-hmm. It was really telling the truth where what came out of his mouth was all lies to the woman. But the hunter knows what he's doing. And the hunt will take mm-hmm. as long as the hunt takes because he's not eager for it to stop, really. Yeah. Yeah. If a person is of a certain age and is hunting, you can maybe get some information about his past relationships from him. Why isn't this wonderful, desirable person in a relationship? But I'm sure there's the standard responses to that question if you do try to explore that with them. Um, I just haven't met the right person yet. Yes. And, and you know, it's not a very uh, red flaggy thing to hear that someone hasn't met the right person because you're free because you haven't met the right Mm -hmm. person. It's Mm -hmm. not for nefarious reasons. But in this case, maybe you'll get some ideas and maybe you won't and you'll just end up with your heart broken being a trophy. Yeah. Eventually they're going to come to realize that they were hunted and that they were prey. But in that time frame when they're being hunted, is there anything that can alert them to that? I think if someone is extremely over the top mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. what they do, that can be a sign. I'll tell you the average normal guy or woman who's not a narcissist doesn't go over the top. They have more self-doubt. They're worried about looking like a fool. They're worried you'll think they're an idiot. 
for doing this or that. You know, they have the normal amount of insecurities that prevent them from doing an all-out hunt that's public because hunting is public. It's not like it's a secret hunt. Things show up at your desk at work. This person really doesn't care what you feel and they're not embarrassed by what they're doing because they're not self-reflective. They they don't have the insecurities of a normal person. Uh, A normal person thinks, well, if I spend $1,000 on a bracelet for her, what if she rejects me? Unless they're fabulously wealthy, it's a meaningful sum. Can I afford to keep up this pace? I have to pay rent. Is she treating me like a fool? Is she disrespecting me because I'm coming after her so hard? Those thoughts aren't occurring to the hunter. Is she taking advantage of me? Here I am splashing out on delicious meals in five-star restaurants and helicopter rides. Is she just using me for my money? That's what a normal person would be thinking. If you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist, please do check out my online course, Is My Partner a Narcissist? Knowing for Sure. And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. Exactly. So um, that's the hunter. And those are the tip offs. Casanova is very similar to the hunter. And Casanova was a real man. He was a diplomat, I believe, from Venice. And he kept track of all his sexual conquests. And he wrote a book about it, which is why we know so much about him. He enjoyed listing his sexual conquests. So he is not telling you about a future together. Mm -hmm. He is just trying to flirt in his most seductive way possible and convince you to go and to have sex with him. Mm -hmm. And when the sex is done, he's done, but he's never promised you anything. The hunter can make elaborate promises that suddenly disappear plans for the future and things like that. He doesn't really care. What what do you care what you promise a deer or a rabbit? Yeah. Yeah. And this is future faking, isn't it, as well? That's the name for that. Yes. Now, I want to talk about a very interesting philosopher who gives us a shortcut to understanding this, uh, Martin Buber, which I think could add an interesting dimension. Brilliant. Yeah, great. In German, he wrote this monograph in around 1903, and I think was published around 1911. Don't hold me to the exact dates. In German, it was called Ich und Du, I and You, and it was I and Thou in English. And the fascinating thing is that's relevant to here Uh was he identified two types of relationships, the I-thou relationship between two equals. Right. Both have equal rights in the relationship. Both see each other as people, not objects. So there's two subjects. You and I have an I-thou relationship. Yes. We are both e- equals here. You may be interviewing me, but you also give me as a latitude to be me. Uh-huh. 
and the I-it relationship in which one person is the subject with the power and the other person is the object being acted on. And you can have Mm -hmm. what I call healthy I-it relationships, Mm -hmm. which would be when you go to a physician, they're not interested in all aspects of your life. You're not on a first name basis. It's not a friendship. They are Mm -hmm. in the dominant role, which I accept because I want them to be in the dominant role. I hope that they know more than me when they're treating me. And I am the it to them. I am the patient of the day. Yeah. So it's not necessarily pathological. Therapy is often an I-it relationship. Mm -hmm. Depending on the type of therapy, I would say psychoanalysis is more I-it because the analyst is sitting behind you, unknowable, you're out on the couch. And the purpose is so that the analyst's personality and thoughts doesn't get in the way of impinging on the the patient. And so the difference you can even see in the names with an with a more analytic therapy, the person is called a patient, the other is the doctor. I, when I was doing an analytic style of therapy, Object Relations, Masterson's, he insisted that we call each other by, that everybody call each other by their title. So I would be okay. Dr. Greenberg and you would be Dr. McKenna. So you'd be coming to me and I'd be Dr. McKenna, how are you? And you'd be Dr. Greenberg, it's good to be here, etc. It was very formal. In Gestalt therapy, we call each other by our first names. The person is a client, and we strive to have at least moments of I-thou relationship that can be internalized and taken back for people who have been an it their whole life. They've been treated like an it by their parents. They're an it mm-hmm. at work. They're just another worker. And they have no model for the I-thou relationship. So in the course of a therapy, you can start out, it's an I-it situation. They come to me because I am Dr. Greenberg, I'm an expert in this area, et cetera. But when we're actually doing the therapy, it's much more fluid than that. And there are moments of great intimacy and there are moments when I'm being the educated therapist and speaking to them. So there's a flow, you can have a flow in a normal relationship and in a, even a normal professional relationship, depending on the type it is, between I-thou and I-it. For narcissists, they only do I-it relationships. If you're being hunted, mm-hmm. there's a hunter mm-hmm. and there's an it that they're hunting. It's not mutual. You're, you're not hunting them as hard as they're hunting you. There's a lack of mutuality here mm-hmm. in the courtship. The person who is asking you all those questions, my detective, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. a lack of mutuality. In a normal person, if they ask you those type of questions, they start telling you those type of things about themselves. Yes. They want to unveil themselves to you just as badly as you want to be safely unveiled. Mm -hmm. So there's a mutuality. So this Mm -hmm. Buber's idea of I vow can be a useful tool. Do you feel like this is an I-thou? We're two equals. We're learning about each other. We're both contributing to the situation. Or is this an I-it where someone else is in charge and I'm the it? Yeah. I think people who've been in narcissistic relationships, they they tend to tell me that they, they haven't really been seen for who they are. Um, Even if they've had decades of being in these relationships, they feel like the narcissistic spouse or partner uh, over decades have never really seen them for who they actually are and they don't really know who they are and they almost feel like they don't care to know 
who they are. That's probably that, isn't it? That's probably a result of that I-it kind of relationship. Yes, that's a very good description of an I-it relationship. And the ones that I know, the narcissists, they're really not that interested in who you are. Yeah. They really do not care except insofar as they have a use for it. And if they don't have a use for what you're telling or it doesn't fit in with their preconceptions of their script, then they want you to stuff it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear about it. They they don't want to be part of it. They're not interested in what you're thinking. The narcissist asks asks what you're thinking, and it doesn't have anything to do with how wonderful they are. That's the last time they're going to ask you. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. (laughs) So now listen to these next examples with the are they I thou or they I it, okay? So you meet this person, and they become enthralled with you, a bit like the detective, except they have a fantasy that they tell you about. You're the person I've been looking for my whole life. Yes. What would give me the greatest pleasure in life would be to take you to that island in Fiji. I've been there so many times, but I've been there alone. And I've always wanted to show it to somebody I cared about in love. Mm-hmm. And they have a long list of things. And in the beginning, it's really nice because these are nice places, nice things. They've invited you to into their life. Yeah. Okay. Notice it's their life. They're not asking you, take me to the places you love. Show me what's important to you. Okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. They have a narcissistic love script. Yeah. And they've been thinking about this the way women often think about their weddings. A lot of women I've met, not my generation, because I was a hippie. If we got married at all, we weren't doing the huge thing with the Barbie dress. But a lot of my clients are from another generation. The millennials were marrying like crazy. Yes. And they wanted these over-the-top weddings. And they had they had planned it out. They knew if they wanted rustic or sophisticated, was there going to be daisies on the floor? Or was it going to be the most impressive flowers you've ever seen? Mm-hmm. Was it going to be country? What? How many bridesmaids they had? So they were going to be monsters for a day. Because if you've ever been <laughs> yes. to people's wedding, very often the, the bride is um bridezilla now i've seen this done with an entire life not by these brides because they're after they get over the day and the honeymoon they go back to normal because they're essentially normal people but this is their special day they've been encouraged by society to think about for a very long time so what's the name of that type i call that the narcissistic love script right okay they have a script in which you fit into their life. Okay. And they've written the script and they've been thinking about it for years and years and years, where they're going to take you, what you're going to do together. Now, do they do the same things with subsequent partners? Yes. I'm thinking now of examples that I've heard where they like a certain hotel in, you know, wherever, somewhere across the world that's a five-star place, or they go to this market in Marrakesh and buy scarves and jewellery. They do the same thing with every partner. Every single partner does the same thing. They go to that hotel, they go to that market in wherever, they eat that food, they go to that restaurant. They have these specific things that they do with each partner. Which is very I it, isn't it? Because actually, yes. you know, there's nothing unique about it. You're just the next it. So you get to fall into the script to know. Yes. And it, 
And it can be a crossover with the type that I call romantics. Uh Sometimes you get a romantic and a love script. The romantic is the person who really is a romantic at heart, can't do a real relationship any more than the rest of the narcissists not prepared for it, but they love the romance of the early period. They love falling in love with you. Mm-hmm. They love doing all the romantic gestures. It looks I thou because they're getting such pleasure mm-hmm. from this mm-hmm. too. They just love the walk on the beach. They're mm-hmm. the ones with the all the Instagram photos up there that make you envious and you think, why aren't we walking across cobblestones in the Amalfi Coast? Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're living out their romantic dreams with a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> You're the puppet. You're the wow. it. They have they they've chosen you as a partner for a courtship. And what happens is when it starts to get less romantic, mm-hmm. that's when they lose interest. Yeah. Now, I know someone that she went off script. The hotel room was too warm for her. I'm making up a thing so that I don't give a real life example, but it was similar to this. She turned down the thermostat a notch. He got incensed that she hadn't asked his permission first. He says, well, I don't like people doing things without asking me. Because the script has been changed, because that's not what was in his... Exactly. It wasn't about hot or cold. Now you've deviated from the script in some minor thing. It's a romantic script and you're supposed to sit there while he goes around and opens your car door, mm-hmm. you know, because his script is from the 1920s or something. Yeah. And, and you're sitting there looking like Grace Kelly or Audrey Hepburn in high heels and a big skirt. And you can't maneuver yourself out of the car yourself. But the reality is that's not what you're wearing. Yes. Yes. You can open your own car door. You've been doing it for years. You have your own car. So suddenly you're sitting there and you, mm-hmm. you without thinking, you open your car door and get out. And he's angry. Mm-hmm. He said, mm-hmm. why don't you wait for me to open your car door? I was coming around. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, it's sweet of you to want to do that, but I'm fine with opening my own car door. Mm-hmm. What did you just do? You deviated from his script. Wow. That all feeds into that idea that all narcissists need to control as well. There's that element of control. and they, they need to win. They need to control. They need to at least have the last word. They need to put their stamp on things. If other people have done it, they need to just kind of tweak it a bit. It's all part of that. Yes, it is. And, and this is a taken to a really strange degree. Yeah. You know, narcissists range from people who are somewhat livable with but controlling and you know that you're going to be in their bad graces, they're going to scream at you or give you a cold shoulder. You've already seen the pattern, Uh Uh but you have zones of freedom of your own Mm -hmm. and they have zones where they want to control. And it's not like they want to control every single thing, but if they have a script... They feel the right to control every single thing because it's, yeah. it's like a director in a movie. It's their script. It's theirs. They have ownership over it. It belongs to them. And so it's going to be exactly how they want it. 
Yeah, exactly. And what is astounding to a normal person who you're out on a date with this guy is how important it is to him that you sit there and let him open the door. That is a, a red flag, isn't it? Because I think you instinctively would go, well, that's really strange. I yes. think anybody would, would find that a bit, oh gosh, that's a bit strange. But then narcissists are quite good at justifying things, you know. Oh, it's just that, you know, my dad was really awful to my mom and she always wanted, you know, me to be really gallant and it's really important to me to be able to do this for you they can come out with all sorts of bitty play type things that would make you go okay yeah I I can see why I'll let you open the door for me it makes you feel good but notice here's the red flag it's important to them yeah it's important to them it has to do with their life but it's not what you want yeah if you're in an I thou relationship what you want affects the outcome Mm -hmm. there are joint decisions made there are negotiations Oh, honey, I know it makes you feel good to open the door for me, but I need to tell you that it's a little bit much for me. Maybe you can show your affection in another way because I get a bit impatient. I'm a, I'm not a sitter by nature. I know it's only two minutes, maybe less, but it feels like an hour when I'm sitting there. So if you say that to somebody who's a narcissist, they're insulted. Who cares how long it feels to you? You're telling them they're doing it wrong and you don't want to be part of it. Yes. Yes. So we've talked about detectives, hunters, Casanova, the romantics and the narcissistic love script. So tell us about the recyclers. What do they do? Recyclers are not novelty seeking people. Okay. Women are fairly interchangeable to them. They want a companion who will do what they want on a trip, Uh for example. Like I knew one who wanted to take a trip to Las Vegas and gamble at the tables and have a good time. And he had a group of four or five women he alternated among, depending upon who had annoyed him the last. When you annoyed him, he left you. He didn't yell at you. He just left you. And then he went on to the next person who uh, was interchangeable with you. He just cycled. I had one man in therapy with me. He made all the women into his friends. Uh Like if he broke up with you, he became your friend. You were still available to him as a friend, Uh quote unquote. And he was very proud of himself that he's had all these friends. But he came to me because the only thing that had really had meaning in his life was his work. And he was in a work crisis. He was near retirement age. So he might be losing that. And he thought, well, I can't keep a relationship going. I can't keep friendships going that are distant. Maybe I should work on myself and my relationship. And he quit therapy as soon as he found out he wasn't getting fired. Right. Yeah. So that's narcissistic supply, isn't it? He was going to lose the narcissistic supply of his job. And therefore, he needed to try and develop a relationship with one person so that they were really, really reliable source of supply to make up for the loss of his job. The loss of supply that he was getting from his job. Yeah. It's a plus and a minus. It's It says something nice about the person that they have formers who want to be their friends. But also it might be saying in the back of that person's mind, every former who is a friend, married or unmarried, is a potential for the future that I keep around. Exactly. 
and I keep the relationships going. I think there's a thing in dating called, I think it's called benching. You keep in touch with your former flames, you know, even online sort of dating. They're on the bench, like in a kind of football match or whatever. And you can just bring them on as a substitute whenever you feel like it. And they'll they'll be delighted to do so. So it's a bit like benching, isn't it? And I guess they probably are hoping for, you know, more again at some point in the future with this person. So perhaps that's why they're sitting on the bench. Perhaps it wouldn't happen with certain people. They'd just say, well, no, that's it. We've split up and I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Well, I once had the opportunity to ask some women because I knew the man quite well. And I was introduced to different women. They said that when he came into their life, it was like magic. Mm -hmm. They would do something that they wouldn't do with other people. It always had a twist and it was interesting. And and so even though they knew that he, he wasn't the marrying kind, in the beginning, they had thought that they would marry him, you know, that all of this meant something. And then they slowly became disillusioned. The ones that really wanted somebody full time and not just an occasional adventure, they went out of the rotation. They refused to be recycled. But the ones that accepted the recycling, they knew that the odds were very good that if they didn't have him this year, they'd have him next year. And he would show up and he would be totally theirs till he wasn't totally theirs. And they would do amazing, interesting things. It was more like buying a date. Yeah, yeah. This reminds me of the concept of the narcissist harem. There's a harem of people and they'll just kind of pull people out um, every now and then. Something to really be aware of. You know someone is a narcissist. Best to just go no contact forever. Yes. So we've talked mostly about men, the males in this situation, but what about the women? How do they present? Yes, um, the, the women can be detectives because the mystery will get them. Women very rarely are direct hunters because it's not seen as ladylike to give them jewelry and money. So if they're going to hunt you, they'll have to do it through cooking, through sewing you something, through making you things. They'll have the most gorgeous underwear. Their hunting will draw you in in a very feminine way. Women hunt differently than men. We have different equipment. And what about the female romantics? I bet they're good at luring people in. The female romantic... She needs a guy who has some romantic fantasies, because if he doesn't have the romantic fantasies, she'll move on to someone that will play the game better. Uh I want to get dressed up with you. You would look so good in a tuxedo. I just know how handsome you would be. And go to this wonderful little restaurant and dance on the sand together under the moon. In fact, somebody had paid for a violinist to go down to the sand and play for them while they danced on the sand in their evening dress. And I mean, it sounds lovely, doesn't it? Everyone will be listening and going, well, that sounds lovely. (laughs) But the thing is that the essential point being it's the I-it relationship. You're just fitting in with what they want. It's not a mutually reciprocated thing that you're doing. It's not I-thou. So that's the point, isn't it? That it's about you being just an it in these scenarios. Exactly. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now and is also available as an audiobook. And for more resources, please do visit my websites, thelifedoctor.org and drsapria.com.